This is Geeks and Jacks. Welcome back to Geeks and Jacks episode 173. Recording December 15th, 2023. This is Ron Sullivan. Glad to have you here. Before getting into this episode, this podcast is on podcasters.spotify.com. You can also find this on Radio Public and Google Podcasts. So right on down to those places, search for Geeks and Jacks. Plenty of content awaits. So, the usual, the usual stuff. Talk how the box office fared. Speak my thoughts on on FX as a channel. Doom and Thirty Years Old, and one or two other things along with sports. My thoughts on the whole Draymond Green thing going on with the NBA. So let's jump into it and head straight to BoxOfficeMojo.com because this was kind of an abysmal weekend last week. A couple of new movies making it to the top ten, but otherwise... Not a good one. Number one, and this is pretty important because of the guy that was involved in it. So the movie that was number one was The Boy and the Heron. This was only in 2,200 theaters, but it made $13 million. And this this is a big hit over... In the international waters, 86.7 million internationally, 16.9 domestic as of Wednesday the 13th. And the guy in question, his name is Heo Miyazaki. And I want to look up this guy's resume a little bit because he's been doing film for such a long, long time. He has a studio called Studio Ghibli. Ghibli. He will turn 83 uh, next month. Supposedly, there's some stuff going on on whether or not his film will be the last one he ever does. So he did films like My Neighbor Totoro, Spirited Away, Howl's Moving Castle, Ponyo. And, like, these are movies I've never really heard of. Just, just for your information. But the fact that this was number one in America says a lot. And probably something that Kids, probably, probably some parents thinking that this is something that their kids could enjoy. Well, okay, never mind. PG thirteen movie. <laughs> I don't know. I'm expecting maybe at least a PG rating, but maybe the type of content in it doesn't mean it should be. <laughs> But yeah, for this to happen for a guy that's been doing tons of movies over the years, truly speaks dividends. Number two, The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. So this made about $9.2 million over last weekend, and it's still holding on a little bit. And more than likely, this could be looked at as maybe a modest success with 138.6 domestic and 144.3 internationally. It's nearing 283 worldwide. It's dropped its fair share of theaters, but nothing too big yet. Still playing in a ton of theaters, though. 
Number three, Godzilla, minus one. 8.5 million. And its drop is not that bad, all things considered. Sitting comfortably, almost equally, 28.6 domestic and 29.8 internationally. Making about 58.4 worldwide. Number four, Trolls Band Together. Just barely making it to six million. Hold on a second. Hold on a sec. Just having some loading issues right now. So, okay, here we go. Now, this movie is probably going to be looked at as kind of a flop. But, as it stands right now, 84.2 domestic, 90.9 internationally, 175.2 worldwide. It's been out for almost a month, and... I don't know. It, it it probably could be one of those films that ultimately does better via streaming and DVD, but that's anyone's guess. Number five, Renaissance, a film by Beyonce. 5.4 million over the weekend. 28.5 domestic, 7.6 uh, internationally. So, obviously, I, I kind of would like to, I want to see if Taylor Swift's concert is still on there. Because I am truly curious on whether or not it's not on there. I'll look at it in a little bit. But, yeah, moving on. Number six, Wish. 5.3 million over the weekend. 50 million, 50.7 million domestic, 56.6 internationally. The fact it's even reached over 100 million says a lot. But still, if this is our indication of if it's surprising people, then that's not good. Because this is still going to be looked at as a huge, huge failure. The fact that some advertising and the fact that the the budget was at $200 million. And there's definitely some stuff going on with Disney behind the scenes. And I mean, who knows what's going to happen over the course of the next year or two. I have a feeling there's going to be some huge change. Number seven, Napoleon. 4.1 million. 54.4 domestic, 117.9 internationally, 172.3 worldwide. It's hard to know whether I would call this a hit or not, and I'd say it's a mix of both. It's kind of a flop, but it wasn't a hit either. It's it's anyone's guess, I think. Number eight, Waitress the Musical. 3.5... Over the weekend, and yeah, not in a lot of theaters. The fact that it did that much in 1,200 theaters, that's not too bad. Now, whether or not this will get more theaters or not, probably won't, if I had to guess. I mean, that says something. And this is based on a small film that came out 
in 2007, starring a young Carrie Russell. I don't know. It's number nine, Animal, two point four million over the weekend. Twelve point three domestic, seven point three internationally. Without without much of an answer to it, I'm seriously doubting this is going to get a big nationwide release. And number 10, The Shift. 2.1 million over the weekend. 9.4 million overall has yet to come out internationally. Now, the one thing I want to look at just a tiny bit, because I'm thinking how long was the Taylor Swift one. Okay, roughly the same roughly the same time altogether. About two hours, forty nine minutes. Okay, I just want to look at the Beyonce thing just to just to double check on it because honestly if if it's any indication I think I think it's just a case of Swift being the hottest thing for the hottest thing for uh For, for music all things considered I'm sorry for all this uh, dead air it's just it's just one of those things that I can't really put my finger on yeah about 249 I think it's just a case of people liking the younger talent more, and I didn't even, I'm not sure if I even talked about any movies coming out last week, but it's just it's just not a good weekend. Just not. I mean, here's what's coming out. Concrete Utopia and the Kennedy Incident, those are nationwide releases, and I want to say Wonka is too. Says limited, but that movie did pretty well over its first weekend, although I'd like to look at the numbers for that as a whole, because I want to know what the budget was for it. More than likely, that's probably going to be $125 million. That's crazy. And it's definitely getting a fair share of advertising, too. So, more than likely, this is going to need to make about, if I had to guess, probably... Three hundred fifty million, three hundred seventy-five million, anywhere between three hundred fifty to four hundred million. It's cheaper than the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory film from '05. Hundred fifty million from that time. I'm surprised it costs that much. While the original Willy Wonka from '71, two point nine million. You know, I mean, as crazy as it may seem coming out of my mouth, 2.9 million it looks a lot more impressive than the dark dreariness of, of Charlie. Although, in the case of this film, 
it probably will look a little better compared to Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. But yeah, more than likely, I, I think this is going to be the film at number one over the weekend, but I don't think we really need a Wonka origin story. Just let people have an imagination for it. Other limited films include The Zone of Interest and American Fiction. I feel like I've heard a few things about American Fiction. I feel like I've heard a few things about it. And then on Saturday, tomorrow, a UFC fight. And then couple couple films out. One including Donkey. D U N K I. I don't even know what kind of film that'll be, but take a brief look. A lot of movies coming out next weekend. Five wide releases. Okay, American Fiction is coming out uh, next week. Supposed to be a serious film? Comedy drama from MGM. But there's definitely some interesting films coming out next week. And definitely a fair share on Christmas. One of the more interesting things to me is Iron Claw. I think it interests me because this is a Zac Efron-led film. And, I don't know, it just seems like the type of film you wouldn't think he would do. But A24, I mean, they'll they'll get people that they think will work for these films. I mean, Uncut Gems, the only, I think, A24 film I saw in the theater, I mean, that that garnered some nominations as a whole, I mean, including Best Actor for Adam Sandler. More than likely, I'm just going to guess for next weekend, I want to say Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom will be number one, but that can be anyone's guess. I don't know. Now, the holiday season, you see a ton of it, and obviously you see a lot of overplayed films on television, and you'll see it across the multiple networks. TVS, TNT, FX, AMC, what have you. But one of the channels that in, is intriguing me right now is FX. And it's not so much the Christmas films that they're airing, but noticing some of the other stuff that they put on there. Not too long ago, I think about two months ago, give or take, Disney signed a deal with Charter Communications, and one of the cuts was FXX and Freeform. All my life I've 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 known for cable that Freeform have been around for a very, very long time. It was originally the, the family channel, then Fox Family, and then ABC Family and then Freeform. It's gone through multiple iterations over the years and what they've aired on on there. And the way I looked at it in recent years, it's been mostly a holding ground for for a lot of Disney content in terms of animated films, live action films, holding on to, I think, like romantic crap. As far as television goes... 
not a whole lot. I think like Blackish, The Simpsons, The Office, and on Fridays, basically a 10 plus hour marathon of Family Guy. And some of the films that never got on any other channel except for for Freeform it's basically Disney trying to find a new home for them so that people who use Spectrum will will get them via FX and seeing that a little bit with with some of the Pixar films so far, they've put on their all four Toy Story movies. I remember, I think it was like last year or two years ago, they had Toy Story 4 on FX. And that, I mean, that to me is a rarity because Disney, Disney likes to have an ironclad grip on on some of their animated stuff. And Toy Story, for example, the Toy Story films, I'd say Cars, Incredibles. I mean, that's I mean, ju- those are just the Pixar stuff. They they want to keep them on to just one channel and that's it. Or at least the Disney conglomerate channels with the Disney label on there. But the fact that some of these films are going on to FX, I'm curious to see what happens for the start of 2024. Whether those films stay on there for good, you know, be part of a regular cycle that has seen mostly just comic book movies, or do they stick by what they've they've done? with or without Freeform. The FXX thing really... It, it, it makes me wish that FX, or at least Disney, would try to give people a chance to watch The Simpsons, because I doubt many of the local affiliates are airing that because it probably the probably the price is too high and they're looking for hotter products so but it, just to have I, I just wish they would try to piece together something where you get the best of freeform FX and FXX. I would say you do a day, you do a Saturday with kids' films, similar to what Freeform might do at times. You do a Sunday where you get some adult films or maybe some comic book stuff. You sprinkle in a movie or two with airing adult cartoons. And you know what? Maybe try to air some of their older FX products or something along that line. I would kill to see Always Sunny go back to FX. It never made sense to me why maybe outside of the first couple of years why to stay stuck on FXX. I know it would probably be hard to edit the show in particular, but I mean, you have late night for a reason. There's a reason why your shows are TVMA. And plus, it probably doesn't fit in with their weird type aspects of their other shows that they keep on FX. So, yeah. I don't have a whole lot of hell. I mean, there's not really much to talk about with television. be honest... I haven't seen some other regular stuff for for television. I'm kind of surprised. Maybe maybe I missed it, but I'm kind of surprised someone like Wonderful Life 
hasn't aired on USA or or even the E channel or Bravo. Unless it stopped being that appealing, which it's kind of funny because this year marks 30 years since NBC got the rights to it. And for the longest time, it only ever aired uh, once a year. Because there was some weird thing not too long prior to it where tons of networks were airing it all the time because they thought the copyright expired on it. And I think it has to do with probably the company that made it at first. And probably not existing after whenever they went bankrupt. But even with that, if the copyright extension didn't happen, Wonderful Life would have still been in the in the IP type things because it wouldn't have entered the public domain until 2000. But with the extensions now these days, they won't be until 2041. Speaking of public domain, one of the very first iterations of Mickey Mouse, Steamboat Willie, is going to enter the domain this upcoming year. And I think this is something that probably shocks a lot of people. Because one of the biggest things that people argue in regards to why it kept getting extended, the whole copyright thing, was because of Disney wanting to keep Mickey Mouse for as long as they could and making it harder and harder for it to enter the public domain. I think with how much more vocal people have been online now these days, this is probably the biggest thing in regards to people not giving Disney an inch on them trying to buy out people, bribery, or whatever it is necessary to keep extending copyright. That's what I think is the case. And probably, if they were to try to extend it again, they probably would have been met with a ton, and I mean a ton, of backlash. Moving on. Going into sports. So we'll begin with last week's Thursday game. And I'll definitely be talking this one as well that just ended. But So let's begin with uh, last week's Thursday game. New England Patriots 3-10 and now for the year of a win over the Pittsburgh Steelers. Bailey Zapp had a really good game. 243 scores and a pick. Ezekiel Elliott led the rushing with 68 yards. Juju Smith-Schuster led the receiving with 90 yards, but Elliott had a score, and so did Hunter Henry with two scores. As far as the Steelers go, Mitch Trubisky, 190, one score, one pick. Trubisky also led the rushing with 30, and he had a score to, to boot two. Deontay Johnson led receiving with 57 yards and a score. Pretty much equal footing for the most part. More punts for uh, New England and more penalties. Just hard to fathom. So let's jump to the Sunday games. C.J. Stroud and the Texans losing to Zach Wilson and the Jets. 30-6 to in a game that featured no scoring until the third quarter. So Stroud, 91 yards, no scores, no picks. He did get hurt in that game, though. Devin Singletary led the rushing with 65 and a score. And leading receiving was Brevin Jordan. 35 yards. 
Zach Wilson, 301, two scores, no picks. Brees Hall, 40 yards rushing, that led the team. Xavier Gibson, or Xavier, yep, Xavier Gibson, got a rushing touchdown. Wilson, Garrett Wilson, 108, that led the team. Hall had a really good game receiving with a score, and the other touchdown, Randall Cobb. Haven't heard that name in such a long time. <sighs> so the Texans, 7-6 and six for the year, Jets 5-8 and eight for the year. Overtime game, and the Baltimore Ravens prevailed against the L.A. Rams, 37-31. Baltimore with the best record in the AFC, 10-3. Rams dropped 6-7. Matthew Stafford, pretty good game, 294, three scores. Kyron Williams led the rushing with 114. Cooper Cup, big receiving game, 115 in the score. Other touchdowns include Davis Allen and... Demarcus Robinson. Lamar Jackson, pretty good game. 316, three scores and a pick. He also led the rushing with 70 yards. Odell Beckham led the receiving with 97, and he had a touchdown to boot. Isaiah Likely also had a touchdown, and Zay Flowers had a score as well. Pretty much equal footing in most stat lines although the yardage and penalties for the Ravens probably ain't all that good game ended on a uh, punt return touchdown in overtime New Orleans Saints with a big win over Carolina 28-6 Saints six and seven for the year. Panthers one and twelve now. Bryce Young one thirty seven. No scores. No picks. Very abysmal completion rate. Chuba Hubbard led the rushing with eighty seven. Miles Sanders actually had a pretty good game too with seventy four. Adam Thielen led the receiving with seventy four. Derek, not Derek. Uh, yep, Derek Carr. 119, two scores and a pick. Almost said David. <laughs> Alvin Kamara led the rushing with 56 yards and a score. And A.T. Perry led the receiving with 44. Chris Olave had a touchdown and so did Jimmy Graham. A couple fumbles lost for the Panthers and the interception being the only turnover for... Okay, as far as bad, bad plays, one for seven on fourth down, you have got to be kidding me. One for seven. Holy moly. Cincinnati Bengals, big game. They've got themselves in a spot potentially for the wild card. Seven and six teams now, thirty-four fourteen over the Colts. Gardner Minshew, two forty, one score, one pick. Zach Moss led the rushing with twenty-eight. Michael Pittman Jr., ninety-five yards, that led the team. Mo Alley Cox had the touchdown. Jake Browning, two seventy-five, two scores and a pick. Joe Mixon, another good game, seventy-nine yards rushing and a score. Browning also had a rushing score as well. Chase Brown, 80 yards and a touchdown. The other touchdown was to Tanner Hudson. Bengals are not giving up. They are playing some pretty good ball. I'm actually quite impressed considering with him with Joe Burrow being being out you know for the rest of the year Tampa Bay sneaking in with a with a win 29 to 25 over Atlanta we got some 6 and 7 teams on both sides 
I'd be curious to see who gets first place uh, on Sunday. So Baker Mayfield, 144, two scores, no picks. Rashad White, 102, that led the rushing. Mayfield did have a touchdown. Chris Godwin led the receiving with 53 yards. Rashad White with a touchdown, and so did Kay Dotton. Desmond Ritter, 347, one score, one pick. How do you say it? Tyler Allgaier led the rushing with 40 yards. Bijan Robinson had a rushing score. Ritter had a rushing score. Drake London led the receiving with 172. The touchdown was to Kyle Pitts. Kind of an equal footing type thing in most of the stats, too. Cleveland. Tell you one thing, Cleveland rocks. 8-5 and five now for the year of a win over Jacksonville, 31-27. Trevor Lawrence, 257, three scores, three picks. To the best of my knowledge, he was not as healthy compared to what when he's normally 100%. I wouldn't be surprised if that ankle was still hurting. Travis Etienne led the rushing with 35 and a score. Evan Ingram, 95 yards, two scores. That led the team. And the other touchdown, Tucker Washington. I believe he got a touchdown against Cincinnati last week. Or at least he had a pretty good presence. Joe Flacco, 311, three scores and a pick. Jerome Ford led the rushing with 51. Kareem Hunt had a rushing touchdown. David Njoku, 91 yards, two scores. The other touchdown, David Bell on his only catch for 41 yards. Sloppy game on both sides. Two fumbles and an interception for Cleveland. Three picks and a fumble for uh, Jacksonville. Fourth down, pretty good for Cleveland in that game. Three three for three. Chicago on a winning streak. 28-13 win over Detroit. 5-8 Bears, 9-4 Lions. Jared Goff, quiet game, 161. One score, two picks. Jameer Gibbs led the rushing with 66 in the score. Actually, David Montgomery had 66 as well. Josh Reynolds, he led the receiving with 44 and a score. As far as Chicago goes, Justin Fields, 223 and a score. He also led the rushing with 58 and a score. DJ Moore had a rushing score, and he actually had a receiving score, 68 yards leading the team. Cole Komet, pretty close, 66 yards. Sloppy play by Detroit. Two picks along with a fumble. One for five on fourth down. I mean, Dan Campbell's a gambling guy, but man, too too much risk. San Francisco still playing pretty good ball. Twenty-eight to sixteen over the Seahawks. Niners ten and three. Seattle, 6-7. and seven. Drew Locke, starting in place at Geno Smith, 269, two scores, two picks. Zach Charbonnet led the rushing with 44. Tyler Lockett led the receiving with 89. DK Metcalf had a touchdown, and so did Colby Parkinson. Brock Purdy, 368, two scores and a pick. Christian McCaffrey led the rushing with 145, but Jordan Mason and Debo Samuel had rushing scores. Samuel also led the rush, the receiving with 149 and a score. George Kittle also had a touchdown. Pretty much 90% of those yards came from Samuel, Kittle, and Brandon Ayuk. There was a fumble by San Fran, and otherwise, 
mostly equal footing. Even even like the plays are just almost equal. Three nothing. We had a three nothing score last week. Minnesota edging out the Raiders. Three nothing. The Vikes now seven and six for the year. Las Vegas five and eight. Nick Mullins led the passing with 83 yards, put in place after an abysmal showing by Joshua Dobbs. Alexander Madison led the rushing with 66 yards. TJ Hawkinson, 53 yards receiving. Aiden O'Connell, 171, no scores and a pick. Josh Jacobs led the rushing with 34. Devontae Adams led with 53. I mean, just both teams, a lot more plays out of Minnesota, and just sloppy play by the Raiders, three turnovers, ouch. Denver Broncos putting better chances up to make the playoffs. 24-7 24-7 win over the Chargers. 7-6 now the Broncos. L.A. 5-8. Russell Wilson, 224. Two scores and a pick. Javante Williams led the rushing with 66 and a score. Cortland Sutton led the receiving with 62 and a score. And Adam Troutman had a touchdown himself. So, Easton Stick. 179, no scores, no picks. In place of Justin Herbert, who had a finger injury, and his season is over. Austin Eckler led the rushing with 51 and a score. Quinton Johnson led the receiving with 91 yards. Denver defense doing its job and a fumble for the for the Chargers. No third down conversions. And one for six on fourth down. Ouch. Probably the biggest game Buffalo Bills beating Kansas City 20-17 to in Arrowhead Stadium. Bills 7-6 and for the year. Chiefs 8-5. Josh Allen 233. One score, one pick. James Cook 58 yards rushing but Allen had the touchdown. Cook also led the receiving with 83 and a score, which is crazy. Let's see if anyone. Gabe Davis had no catches. Ouch. Pat Mahomes, 271, a score and a pick. Clyde Edwards Elaire, 39 yards rushing, though Jarek McKinnon had a touchdown. Travis Kelsey led the receiving with 83, and Rasheed Rice had the touchdown. But the big play in question, which I'll talk about in a sec, pretty much Buffalo playing the better game. So the big thing was Kadarius Tony being offsides on a play that occurred with a little more than a minute to go, and... Mahomes losing it on the refs, and same thing with Andy Reid. Uh, since then, Mahomes has regretted it and apologized, I believe. But a lot of people were not kind to him when he flipped out and tried to defend the offsides. I mean, I had a glimpse, it was clear as day. But one of the things talked about, and I'm sure this is the case for many people, is the consistency of the refs. Because it does feel like at times where it's not looked at equally across all games. Officiating crews are still wildly inconsistent at times, and it just, it annoys people to no end. Sunday night game. Dallas beating up on Philadelphia 33 to 13. Cowboys 10 3. 
Eagles, 10 and 3. Jalen Hurts, 197, no score, no picks. DeAndre Swift led the rushing with 39 yards. A.J. Brown, another good game, 94 yards. Dak Prescott, 271, two scores. Tony Pollard led the rushing with 59. Rico Dowdle had a rushing touchdown. Jake Ferguson, 72 yards receiving. C.D. Lamb had a touchdown, and so did Michael Gallup. Three fumbles by Philadelphia, a fumble by Dallas. Philly defense a little better than than Dallas in terms of sacks. Only one punt each for, for the teams, which is pretty impressive. Right now, I think Dallas is leading the NFC East. And speaking of the NFC East, the Giants of New York took on the Packers of Green Bay. And I'll talk about that briefly because it helped revive uh, a memorable scene in the movie Coming to America with Eddie Murphy. So a 24-22 Giant victory. 5-8 and eight now for the year. The Green Bay Packers, 6-7. and seven. Jordan Love... 218, one score, one pick. A.J. Dillon led the rushing with 53. Jaden Reed had a rushing touchdown. Tucker Craft led the receiving with 64. And Malik Heath, he had the touchdown. Tommy DeVito, 158 and a score. Saquon Barkley, 86 yards rushing and two scores. And Wandale Robinson leading the receiving with 79. Isaiah Hodgins had the touchdown. Sloppy play by both sides in terms of turnovers. And, yeah, pretty much almost equal on many things outside of plays. And probably third down efficiency. Uh, They... They won a game-winning field goal, and coming to America, the scene was Eddie Murphy as Akeem talking to his boss, Cleo McDowell, played by John Amos. And Akeem basically talks about the football game where the Giants kick an oblong ball made out of pigskin through a big H upright and, and McDowell's just basically if you want to keep your job lay off the drugs or something along that line but the other game as well helped make this Monday night this past Monday night a really memorable one the Tennessee Titans coming back huge, 28-27 over Miami. 5-8 and eight now, the Titans, Dolphins, 9-4 and four now for the year. Will Levis, 3-27, one score and a pick. Derrick Henry, not a good game rushing, 34 yards, which led the team, but two scores. DeAndre Hopkins led the receiving with 124 and a score. Ty J. Spears, I mean, has some pretty good worth right now. Not so much the rushing for for that game, but 89 yards receiving. Hard to imagine. Now, Miami. Tua Tugaviola. 240, no scores, no picks. Raheem Mostert led the rushing with 96 and two scores. And Jalen Waddle led the receiving with 79 yards. You think with how big of a comeback was, you think the advantage would be to, in some spots, to Miami and other spots to Tennessee. Three wins out of Levis, three wins out of DeVito. Rookies really making their case on 
in both games. So I'll briefly touch upon this Thursday night game, Raiders Chargers, sixty-three to twenty-one. The Raiders, who are now six and eight for the year, and the Chargers, five and nine, and another losing season. So stick two fifty-seven, three scores and a pick. Isaiah Spiller fifty yards rushing, leading the way. Joshua Palmer led the receiving with one thirteen and a score. Quentin Johnson had a score, and Alex Erickson had a score. Aiden O'Connell, 248 in a score, at four scores. Jacoby Myers threw a first score. I say Samir White led the rushing with 69 in a score. Brandon Bolden had a score. Devontae Adams, 101 in a score. Trey Tucker had two scores. Michael Mayer had a touchdown, and Jacoby Myers had a touchdown. Four fumbles by the Chargers and an interception. The interception was a pick six, by the way. And there was a fumble touchdown as well. If this ain't the death sentence for Brandon Staley, I don't know what is. But I think... With this particular loss, I truly believe that he might have coached his final season with the Chargers. Because I, I, don't, I can't imagine them holding on to him after all this. And with Herbert being out the rest of the year, their chances of making the playoffs is gone. They could still get in, but they need a lot of luck to happen, and there's no way that's going to happen. So the L.A. Lakers, for the NBA, won the first in-season tournament, but definitely one of the big things going on right now is Draymond Green. This guy is part of the reason the Warriors are really good, And part of the reason why people hate the Warriors. So, yeah. I can't imagine a lot of people being happy about it. And the NBA... The NBA finally putting their foot down after striking Joseph Nurkic in the head. Suspended indefinitely. Now, to put this in perspective, Draymond Green has always played pretty aggressively in terms of of playing basketball. He's not what you would call a typical center, but he definitely has some pretty good stat lines as a whole. I mean, just looking at the numbers on average almost for his career seven almost seven rebounds a game 8.7 point average for his career 5.6 in assists he definitely has a defensive minded uh, perspective that's definitely one of the things I'll bring up for sure four-time all-star. 4,300 assists, 5,300 rebounds, 6,700 points. I don't think really any of this will make him a Hall of Famer for sure, but he definitely definitely has seen better days here and there. 
stealing steel champ in 2016 through 17 yeah there's really not a lot of okay i think a lot of it will come down to whether the defensive stats make him a hall of famer or not two time all nba four time champ eight time all defensive player defensive player of the year 2016 through 17 but he has definitely attracted a ton of people over the years that have shown their displeasure with him. And some of the stuff, you, you wonder how does this guy still keep doing this. And this is a guy that should be a little more mature by this point. But no, 12 season in the league and he's still doing the same antics that he's been doing his whole career. And this is a crew that probably doesn't have much time left in terms of getting a fifth championship. Stephen Curry is in his 15th year. Clay Thompson, 13th. The timetable just keeps shrinking and shrinking. And I think in the case of Green, the indefinite suspension is... I think he needs to start realizing that he's made mistakes. And it's not going to be the end of the world if he says, I'm sorry. I probably should change the way I play my game a little bit. I should still be an aggressive player to a point, but I also got to be smarter. I'd like to think this guy's smarter I'd like to think this guy's pretty smart, but he still acts thuggish. And to still do the same antics, I mean, this is a guy that got suspended five games this year, and I think the league... Adam Silver, to me, is still kind of a spineless type of commissioner since he tries to be fair for the players by... I think it's starting to dawn on him that he's got to put his foot down on things. And I think for this to be a major stepping stone for now says a lot. Because I think the only way this is going to work is if he's suspended indefinitely for, I'd say, the next two or three months. Because this guy is going to struggle with his emotions regardless of whether he's on the court or not. And I think if he comes back humble and revives his career a little bit, then I'd say pretty good. But if he keeps going back to the way he was throughout his entire career, then I think there's no hope. I don't think Steve Kerr wants to get rid of him, but I could see it happening one day because he'd be hurting the team quite a bit. Now, one of the deals being made in another sport, we have Juan Soto going to the New York Yankees, but also Shohei Otani. Los Angeles, show him the money. But not the Angels. $700 million deal for 10 years with the L.A. Dodgers. Yep. And I think that's going to be a ton of wasted money. And probably based on what he's done both as a pitcher and a batter. He's done well as a batter for the most part. But I don't think he's even going to pitch for 2024 because of Tommy John's surgery. Otani should be lucky that they adopted the permanent designated hitter role. He should be very lucky. Because without it, probably the Angels or the Dodgers or whatever wouldn't get to see his bat. He'd have to wait until he's maybe a pinch hitter or something along that line. 
But we'll have to see what happens. Yeah, moving lastly to to gaming a little bit. There was the Game Awards that they did not too long ago, and some big announcements were made, including some Sega-related stuff, plans to maybe do another Golden Axe, another another Shinobi, another Streets of Rage, which, cool. I'd love to see a modern day. I'd like, like to see a modern release you know, new release of, of some of these series. But one of the big things happened this past Sunday, December 10th, with the 30th anniversary of Doom. While not the first first-person shooter, it was definitely one that caught everyone's attention for the type of game engine that it was using, the heavy metal inspired soundtrack the frantic gameplay the the violence that would later become a subject of controversy over the years especially in regards to school shootings in the late 90s its impact was very huge it picked up the pieces of Wolfenstein 3D, which both Doom and Wolfenstein were under the same developer, it's software, and created this environment that, you know, the, a year and a half difference and the advancements were huge. Night and day. Like the type of environments being used, the type of colors, the lighting, the, the way the sound effects are used, stereo audio, hearing where enemies are, feeling the power of you know, the shotgun, the plasma rifle, ways to kill your enemies, exploring levels, secrets, secret levels, and decent amount of content too, like nine level episodes, and, you know, across three episodes initially, and then four. Just, (sighs) part of me does think back to the mid-90s, playing the shareware version of Doom so often, and just messing around with the cheats and also playing it legitimately uh, playing through some of the ports that have come out whether you're playing the excellent PlayStation version the technologically restrained Super NES version which very crazy to think it made its way onto that late 80's hardware with early 90s game and I felt they did a pretty good job with it for the most part got the modern releases now these days probably the worst version I've played 3DL run like crap but the music is mm, so good now the reason why I talked Doom a little bit not just for the 30th anniversary but there came a new Doom Sigil 2 now, fans have made their own games over the years, with whether it's done in the Doom 1 style or Doom 2. Sigil 2, from the original programmer of Doom, John Romero. And he actually did the first Sigil as well. And they count as sort of unofficial episodes of the original Doom as a setup for for Doom 2. And actually the first sigil is really good. I had a lot of fun playing that and I like the different approach to the soundtrack. Some of the emphasis on scariness, action, pulse pounding type stuff. It's unbelievable. One of the best you know conversions and for it to be from a, a guy that 
was responsible for some of id's early work whether it was commander keen wolfenstein doom the first quake guy knew what he was doing with sigil and i can't wait to try more of sigil 2 i i can't wait to try more of it here it's a little more challenging And I can't wait. So with that said, I'm going to end this here. As I said before, this podcast is on podcasters.spotify.com. You can also find this on Radio Public and Google Podcasts. So head on down to those places, search for Geeks and Jocks. Plenty of content awaits. So with that, that is episode 173. This is Ryan Sullivan. Up to your listeners on the next podcast. Stay safe, stay protected. Take care of yourself. Take care, everyone.